This podcast is for general information only and should not be taken as psychological advice. Listeners should consult with their healthcare professionals for specific medical advice. Hello and welcome to Double A Chattery. I'm Amanda Keller. And I'm Anita McGregor. And hello, Anita. Hello, Amanda. How are you? I'm very well. Actually, I've got a bit of a frog in my throat, Mm -hmm. but I feel fine. I've just got a croaky voice, so ignore that. We'll ignore that. Please do. Mm -hmm. A few weeks ago, we spoke about glimmers. This was something you brought to the table, Anita. About rather than looking for triggers, looking for the glimmers. It was such a lovely topic and I just loved that that listeners were so willing to go and tell us about their glimmers. And I just wanted to actually read out a poem from... A poem? A poem. And some poems are really meant to be read and I really... Hamir's style. I sat upon a little stool. (laughs) There once was a... (laughs) Leave out the man from Nantucket if you don't mind. This is called So Much Happiness by Naomi Shihab Nye. It is difficult to know what to do with so much happiness. With sadness, there is something to rub against, a wound to tend with lotion and cloth. When the world falls in around you, you have pieces to pick up, something to hold in your hands like ticket stubs or change. But happiness floats. It doesn't need you to hold it down. It doesn't need anything. Happiness lands on the roof of the next house, singing, and disappears when it wants to. You are happy either way. Even the fact that you once lived in a peaceful treehouse and now live over a quarry of noise and dust cannot make you unhappy. Everything has a life of its own. It too could wake up filled with possibilities of coffee cake and ripe peaches and love even the floor which needs to be swept, the soiled linens and scratched records. Since there is no place large enough to contain so much happiness, you shrug, you raise your hands, and it flows out of you into everything you touch. You are not responsible. You take no credit as the night sky takes no credit, for the moon continues to hold it and share it, and in that way be known." Oh, how beautiful. Gorgeous. That's all the stuff we were talking about, but said in such a nicer way. Mm. You know how they say the devil's in the detail? Mm. I think the beauty of life is in the small details around the back of your toilet (laughs) and on the roof of your house. That it's there. It's there. It's all how you view it that makes the difference. Well, if you look for it, I think that's a, that's a, such an important piece of it because it's so easy to overlook the little bits of things, the little joys that we can have in our lives. I said that my glimmer had been holding your newborn grandson mm-hmm. and lots of people responded about how it felt to be a grandparent. I love being a grandma. I think of it as being immortal as I see my DNA going beyond As they grow, you see little bits of your parents too, but the most special love that just keeps growing. And then I got this, and I think this one's worth discussing. I thought this was a really interesting um, response, and I'd like to know your thoughts on it too, Anita. This is very moving and beautiful and made me shed a tear. For those of us who couldn't have children or lost them, please be a little mindful. We all know what intense, pure, unconditional love feels like, or at least can imagine. I know Amanda would never be intentionally insensitive. She's kind and empathetic. But in my experience, as childless by circumstance, others commenting things like, as a mother, blah, blah, or only as a mother, grandmother, would you know of, blah, blah, you don't know true love until dot, 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 can really hurt. And it made us feel less than. It's actually not true. Living as a non-parent, I've experienced lots of things that people with children have not. Not better, not worse. 
just different, all worthy, all valid, all enriching, not trying to criticise or ruin anyone's joy, just trying to broaden the narrative of how we live our lives and how and who we love. That's an extraordinary comment and it's so there's so much in there and it's hard because I'd hate to in any way keep the narrative of you can only be happy if. But for all those years also where I was trying to have a baby, I know exactly how it feels when everyone else seems to do this so easily. It is like scorched earth when a friend tells me they're having a baby, when I hear an ex-boyfriend is having a baby. It's I, I, I'm happy. I want to be happy. I tell myself I'm happy. And I say, please tell me, share the stories. But I go home and I lick my wounds. I remember once being asked to be a patron of a charity for, it might have been premature babies. I took the letter out of the envelope and I can barely recognise that person that I was then because I couldn't even hold the envelope. It's hard to imagine now how excoriating. Incredibly painful. So painful. But I appreciated that the rest of the world, this stuff happens normally and naturally. I remember after one IVF attempt, Harley and I thought Let's, it hadn't worked. We found that out. Let's go to a movie. We went to see Notting Hill. And I've never liked that movie because she, they, it felt to me they had no natural chemistry, Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. But anyway, the characters fall in love, tumultuous times, and it ends with her pregnant on a park bench and there she's got a head, his, her head in his lap and isn't it, everything wonderful. That that beat equals that beat equals that beat. And they lived happily ever after. You know, and I just thought, Where's the, where do I get a break from this? Mm. And yet that was my private struggle. I had to suck it in and I had to lick my wounds and I had to try and be happy for the world. So I completely appreciate how this person feels in saying it's hard but you can't. And she acknowledges this too. She did. Saying I'm not trying to ruin anyone else's joy but, gee, it's hard. Yeah, and I think both those things can be true. It's. I think it's... It is so hard. I've I've watched myself and I've watched friends and family feel that that crush of pain or envy or any of those other emotions. And I think just being a living human being, we're going to feel that wide range, that full range of being human. I don't know that we can stop it. And I and I really appreciated the comment where she was saying, I get it. Like I, I, it, it, it hurts and yeah. it's, it's, it's possible, you know, like that, you know, that there would be people who would have lives where, you know, the, the, those sliding doors, we often talk about the sliding doors, Amanda, about, you know, what would have happened if, you know, you didn't have to go through IVF. What if it had been an easy journey? What would that have looked like? Would you have been the sensitive, lovely person that you are if you hadn't gone through this? I, I don't know. I mean... Mm. Well, I was lucky yeah. that we had a happy result. I remember seeing the movie Maybe Baby that Ben Elton wrote about IVF. We were interviewing him before I had a baby and I'd done years of IVF, as had he, mm. and he'd had children. And I said how much I appreciated that the movie ended with them riding off on the back of a motorbike, a happy couple, and you don't know whether they got pregnant or not. And I said, maybe just surviving the process is enough. And he said, absolutely. That was one of the messages from the film and also from the book it was based on, 
is not everyone's going to have a happy outcome, but you can still choose a happy life. It's all about the the, the choice, and it's also that recognition about how we grow. We grow through the positive experiences that we have, but also the mistakes that we make, the you know the, the things that we don't get. I mean, I, I know that in some ways, I think that we're raising a, a, a generation of children who you know, are told that they can have everything and anything that they want to. And, you know, I don't know if it's the dream to kind of say you can have anything you want. You know, looking now, I've, I was just meeting with a, a friend's son, and he really wants to get into um, in, into an honors program. In psychology. In psychology. And so I was meeting with him, and what a bright, lovely young man this is. Oh, man, it was so great to meet him. And I, I, I hope the best for him. And he's smart and he's doing the right things. And he still may not make it into an honors program. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the boss of that. So so. Isn't it interesting that, that being a good person doesn't always equal result? Not, nor even working hard sometimes. You can work really, really hard and still not get the thing that you want. Well, let's cheer up. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. Let's have a sip of our tea and let's, let's move on. Let's do that. So today, Amanda, what I think would be really interesting to talk about is that idea of the third act, because you and I, my friend, we are in our third act. Mm. And And aren't we lucky to have one? Oh, absolutely. It's way better than the alternative, I think. Well, dying, but Mm. also uh, maybe our mum's generations, maybe other generations that didn't get a chance to reinvent themselves once the kids were old enough that you had some free time. Mm. Well, and I, can, I think sometimes our choice is, um, you know, to be the old crone, which is a terrible image. So I, you know, I appreciate. I don't want to choose to be an old crone. <laughs> <laughs> I've got chin hairs. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> I think we could bead them a little later. <laughs> <laughs> that will keep us looking young, like Bo Derek on our chin. <laughs> <laughs> the old crone that is a terrible expression it is and and i still remember as a as a as a young woman even as a child like looking at my grandparents and thinking that they were old and that they didn't they didn't have interests and they weren't active i mean they sat around and watched the afternoon soaps and i remember my grandmother didn't know how to write a check she like she didn't have a life and i and I look at that now. I, I was wonder. I wondered as I was growing up, what is that going to be like? And I'm very grateful that I've had a number of mentors in my life, older women mostly, who've who've kind of shown me what it's like to grow old in a beautiful way. Also, I think we're an interesting generation in that often we have parents that need care and still children that we need care. We're older mothers. So you're battling a few different things. But we're probably the generation that's wanting to keep working or, you know, I can't look after the grandchildren, I'm off playing golf or I'm on a board meeting at the in New York or I'm doing good works and teaching at a school in Nepal. We seem to have all these choices now because we have reinvented ourselves for love, for travel, for work. To be over 60, we're still viable parts of society or we'd like to think so, because for a long time, women over 60, middle-aged women, have been invisible. 
Well, even younger than that, I, I still remember a, a colleague of mine telling me that in a, another position she held, she had uh, was with two other women doing a panel interview for a really interesting job. And just before lunch, they had gone and interviewed this young, vibrant man who was interesting and handsome and passionate about the work and all that. And they had this amazing interview. And there was a great kind of chemistry in this interview. You can imagine how it it, would, it went. And they, the women were kind of you know, talking about how great it was, and they all went out for lunch. And as they had uh, were walking to the table, they walked by this man who they had just interviewed, and he didn't recognize them. <laughs> no, yeah, I no, mean, how completely. And they just completely felt invisible in that moment. And they'd been in the power position. They had been in the power position. So if anything, it really would have suited him to go and and recognize. Lick a little bit of bum. Absolutely. And he didn't even. Wow. I've heard of a reenactment they did uh, for a bank robbery, just to see how people's memories worked and, and recall. So there was a whole lot of different demographics of people and circumstances the people who were in there thought that there was a bank robbery happening uh, and afterwards they were asked to write down who was where and what they remembered. No one saw the middle-aged woman. If you want to rob a bank, be a middle-aged woman because no one will see you. I have what we're going to be doing next week, yeah, my friend. absolutely. Let's, let's, no yeah. balaclava required. None. We'll just go in, <laughs> use our normal voices and just talk and say, hello, give me your money. People say, I don't remember a thing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that little artist impression would just be like this. <laughs> Our pixelated faces because they wouldn't remember what we looked like. Mrs. and Mrs. Potato Head. But I think this is why women, you know, we always make jokes about are you into the statement jewellery phase of your life yet? Mm. The kind of phase where you might wear glasses with bright red frames on them. <laughs> How long have you had those? <laughs> You're invisible until you put them on. Absolutely. Look at me. <laughs> but this is why you see older women wearing big chunky necklaces, wearing bright glasses, because otherwise no one's going to remember you. Absolutely. And it was, it's interesting when I was choosing these frames, I, I really loved the colour and, and I remember, the, you know, several people commenting on the big red frames and I went, oh, my God, I'm at that phase of my <laughs> life, aren't I? Now I'm off to buy an enormous <laughs> necklace made of gum leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I made it myself. But is there also pressure that comes with that, that the wonderful liberation of us having another crack at it? Hmm. It seems that the new older woman, every magazine, every Instagram post about this seems to be about the older woman being hot. I even saw a thing of this week of Joan Collins. The headline, let me read it to you, was... Joan Collins looks ageless as she soaks up the sun in a strappy dress. She's 90 and she's still under pressure to look ageless. What kind of path are we going down? We talk about wanting to age gracefully, Mm. but it's very hard in a society where we're still being judged on our appearance now as we get older and older. And do we want to be? I mean, for example, you don't want to look like your co-worker's mum. So Mm. a lot of women who are going naturally grey reclaiming the grey. That's a new trend, a new TikTok trend. I'm reclaiming the grey. I'm 64 and I look at all those sort of new trends that we're seeing. 
it's still hugely brave to do it. It's, you know, it's so interesting because I, I went uh, and saw my hairdresser about half a year ago and and I am turning gray kind of in the front part of my hair. And I had said to her, oh, don't do, I would get foils. And I said, don't do a lot of them. I kind of like the gray coming through. It's kind of sparkly. I kind of like it. And of course, I missed our appointment because I had to go to Canada and and it's been almost six months. And I just went and had it redone because my hair was quite gray. And I was like, okay, is that too much? Is that not enough? And I kind of felt like this was exactly the kind of struggle that I have kind of sometimes almost on a feels like on almost a day-to-day basis where some days I'm going, I'm going to embrace, you know, being 62. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I, here I am. See me in my power, or you know, if you yeah. can, if you can see me. And then, and <laughs> I'm then, the one in the red glasses. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then some days, kind of going, oh God, uh, you know, especially when you see the, you know, the ads for, you know, you too can get rid of your crow's feet, and your, you know, you mm. can look ten years younger, and you can look like this, and you can look it's like that. It's very hard to fight it. Oh, it is, and I, you know, every time I go into a store to go and, you know get makeup or whatever. It's kind of like everything is anti-aging and it's such a, I don't know, like there was a that, that article in The Guardian. Oh, wasn't it brilliant? I just absolutely loved the, it was about, uh, it was from a, a an ex-beauty editor and she was talking about anti-aging being such a disappointing pursuit. You're not going to win it. At no point will the anti-aging have worked. There was a beautiful quote um, that said, there's no point when you look in the mirror and say, I've done it. I've anti-aged. Like, no, it never stops. Not, no. And interesting, I think she mentions in that article too about the most recent uh, series in America about The, the Bachelor. It's Golden Bachelor. He's 74. He's a hot older guy and the women are older women. She said their faces look slightly altered. They don't look younger. They just look altered with all the surgery and things that have been going on. And they still say they feel invisible. That's why they're on the show for their dating histories. I feel invisible even though they've done all that anti-aging work. So maybe we're better with our wrinkles and just and you know hush your mouth and twenty thousand dollars mouth. Um, but another th- example of this is there's been so much more noise, rightly so, about menopause. Finally, menopause is on the table, and it's being discussed in a non-embarrassed way. People are acknowledging, hey, you're perimenopausal, you're menopausal, you're postmenopausal. Let's try and not make it sound as sexless as it is. We're still interesting, but here's the symptoms to look out for. It's being discussed everywhere. But along with that does come women trying to say, I've been through menopause, but I'm still looking good. That seems to be the magazine covers and things, as I said. I heard someone from the Butterfly Foundation being interviewed. The Butterfly Foundation is about eating disorders, about self-care through, through food, appearance, anorexia, all that kind of stuff. And I heard this one being interviewed and she said, look, a woman's body goes through two major changes in its life, puberty and menopause. And we all accept that a body will change during puberty and we give, hopefully, a young woman space to change. With menopause, we just don't. Mm. We try and fight the what happens, the fat deposits, the way your body wants to shift. We try and fight it. And that's what's so hard. Where, and And Maybe, I mean, I'm guilty of it too, going, oh, God, I don't want to give in to this layer of fat that wants to sit around my middle. Who does want to give in to it? But society 
now equates, as I said, getting older with trying to stay stay hotter. <laughs> it's so tricky, isn't it? As I said, Joan Collins can't escape it. Yeah, and and I'm I am working really hard to shift my perspective to. Do I feel healthy? Am I healthy? Do my bloods look good? All those kinds of things. Do I, can I still go out and do a mountain bike ride if I want to? Can I still go out and go for a kayak? You know, all those kinds of things that bring me joy. And me horror. (laughs) You are a friend except in those times. I know. You and I have gone on one hike together. That's true. did. I only cried once. You (laughs) did. It was a very long cry, Amanda. <laughs> that's a hell of a long walk. <laughs> but that's the idea is do, does ageing equal health and do, do you, how long do you want to live? I've heard that the first person who will live to be 120 is probably an Australian woman who is 60 now. So imagine that. Are you prepared to live to be 120 financially in terms of can society afford it in terms of health insurance? Are you set up financially to live your whole lifetime again? Is longevity the answer? Do you want to live that long? I don't. Do you? It, it would really depend on the quality of life. I mean, I, I can imagine that we would be bionic women where they would have to kind of continue to well, replace I've got our two, I've got two titanium hips, so I'll outlast you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, but will they last for another 60 years? I mean, this I is... have no interest in living oh. to be that old. Even if I was in peak health, I have no interest. I'll just be so bored by then. Well, I, I, I mean, part of it is... There's a part of me that goes, I, I would love to kind of continue to see the story. Like I remember on my father's deathbed having that he'd um, he couldn't speak any longer and I was kind of trying to have a conversation with him and I was saying it's it's hard not being able to go and see the next chapter of the story. And he was like, yes, and we were both weeping. But it and I think that there's that. I think that there's that moment where you recognize that, you know, some at some point we take ourselves, you know, we are removed from that right. story. Will we live to see Donald Trump's 10th tilt at the presidency? Oh, Will we live to God. see it? No, take me now. <laughs> <laughs> take me now. But what, what would you say is a tip for making ourselves feel younger? You were telling me about a doctor you've heard about. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're not a surgeon. No, no. This is um, this is actually a, one of my favorite podcasts. And uh, Huberman is the Huberman podcast, and he is uh, actually a neurologist. Looks at eye research and stuff, but he does this amazing set of podcasts all about ama- uh, health and that kind of stuff. And he's talking about how uh, it's about motivation mostly. Is this was this particular podcast, and he was talking about how we can age, like the the people that they call super agers. And what they talked about is that if we have the ability to do what he called micro-sucks, which I, is not a lovely term, but mm-hmm. it was what he meant is doing something that we find hard because that actually improves the areas of brain that are associated with better aging, better cognitive ability, those kinds of are things. Are they what is that what a super ager is? Yes. And so what it is, so what he said was it's not like if you do your regular you know, let's say that you do your two hours of workout or whatever a week. These microsucks would be like doing an extra set of reps of the kinds of things that you hate. Like me, I've done the last burpee I will 
ever do in my life. The microsuck would be me doing a set of 10 burpees. And what does that do to your brain? It, it's that challenge. It is that that doing something a little harder. So it would be like learning a new language or you know learning how to play an instrument or doing something that's really going to challenge you that it's not like if you do sudoku every day it's not doing sudoku every day it would be um doing one of the new york times crosswords or right. something something but if you don't really do sudoku sudoku doing it would be something yes yes for a little while until you're kind of uh, adjust to it and it becomes habituated so the microsucks are doing something not necessarily on a daily basis, and those microsucks have to be something safe. It's not like I'm going to go and, you know, parkour. Yeah. <laughs> could <you laughs> imagine? How could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. So it's something that is, you know, safe and challenging. And, and that is actually, the research is actually quite sound in kind of saying this is one of the ways that we can age a little better. In our brains. In our brains. Separate to our bodies. Separate to and our And separate bodies. to our faces. And separate to our faces. Wasn't Madonna said, as you get older, you have to choose your bum or your face? I don't know if she said it as plainly as that. But <laughs> What did she mean? Meaning if you're going to suck the fat out of your bum, if, that, if you want a, a smaller bum, your face is going to drop. So you have some choices to make. Wow. I'll leave you with that. Thank you. So let's talk about our glimmers of the week. I haven't seen you since I went to see Sir Paul McCartney. This was an incredible concert and my brother and sister-in-law came from Brisbane to Sydney to see it with me. So we held hands and just cried all night. But what was so amazing about it, there were certain pockets of it where I thought these young men, when they were young men, the Beatles wrote songs that change meaning for me as I get older. And I get weepy, you know, I get weepy anyway. But thinking of, for example, I had a friend who passed away when I was 16. She died of leukemia. Alana was her name. And on her funeral service, they had the lyrics to the beautiful song Blackbird. But I didn't know. It's a beautiful song. But as a teenager, I thought, you know, she and I used to sing along to Minnie Riperton. And, you know, I didn't know that that she was a Beatles fan. And but this meant something to the family. And when he sang it that night and I heard the lyrics, I won't go to want to cry, but um, Blackbird's singing in the dead of night. You've been waiting for this moment to arrive. I just saw something so different in that song, as if her life had meant something, and it was supposed this was there was some some fate to the journey. And maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I saw it so differently. And even let it be, I went to a baby's funeral when I was in my twenties, and let it be was the song as this tiny casket comes through the church. And the song about acceptance and grace and all the stuff I'm trying to learn with Harley at the moment, how did they write that as young men? And it just went bang and just hit me. Such wise men. Wise men. And Mm. to be hit with that emotion again as we get older and we change, it was just such a gift. I loved it. That's a great glimmer. How about you? So in thinking about preparing for this podcast, I was thinking about the whole idea of invisibility and and how we get there. And and I actually had this moment where I was thinking when I was a young kid, I, I loved the idea of being 
of being invisible. That would have been a great superpower. I still remember having these great ideas about what I could do and and how I could save the world by being invisible. What would you have done? I am secretly interested. Well, I think it would have been that I would have been able to go into somebody's secret lair or something and Mm. overhear the evil plans. Blah, blah, atomic bomb. Something like that. Should have been in the famous five. Yeah, and and then I loved the the whole idea of the invisibility cloak in the Harry Potter books when I read them to my boys when they were young, and and I realized, well, look, here I am, <laughs> invisible. Anita, if you could at least put your glasses on, I'd see where you are. <laughs> <laughs> Our raucous laughter will be heard everywhere, even uh, if we are invisible, Anita. <laughs> Absolutely, right <laughs> down the hallways. <laughs> oh, see you next week. See ya. 